It's turned to whole life discipleship, and so exploring this series. Uh, just to mention that the the resources uh, we're encouraging everybody in small groups to go along and and uh, get involved because it's a good place to unpack this. And uh, we've updated all the the resources on the web for small groups and things. So they're there. There are great study notes that will help you sort of unpack some of this stuff that we're talking about on the Sunday. Anyway, I was going to ask John to come out, and uh, if John's there, <laughs> you'll know if you were here last week, we have, uh, we have this slot, which is called, what are you doing this time tomorrow? And, uh, and so <laughs> I managed to persuade John to come up. <laughs> there you go, John. Morning. Morning. Tell us who you are here, John. I'm John Wilson. I've... Uh, been in Stirling for 30 odd years. We were in Herman Hall, as it is, was then, for 20 years, and then we come down here when we, we closed it, and I'm glad to hear that it's back to worshipping services on the Sunday morning. It's really lovely to hear that. So. Yeah, because you were a big part of what was actually up at the top of the town, weren't you? I'm pretty sure it was a big part. <laughs> I was just as it was, but uh, yeah, we helped it to go too long, probably. That's great. So, so tell me, this time tomorrow, what will you be doing? What's a 72-year-old man meant to be doing <laughs> at this stage of his life? But actually tomorrow we'll be busy um, because we're just back from holiday and there's so much mail behind the door. I left all the difficult stuff until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I like to do, I try and get up sharp at 7 o'clock and go down and I do the um, Alpha through the Bible readings. So that takes half an hour. And God and I, we chat about things. I don't always agree with him, but he doesn't always agree with me. We, we have, we take it from there and then get over the rest of the day. But so, well, telephone calls didn't work on Friday. There didn't seem to be anybody at home on a Friday or in their office. I think yeah. it was, so I need to try and catch up with that. But there was one call that I missed, which I, was, the, I work still with uh, Brideswood. I'm a okay. still a trustee in Romania. And the general manager at the end, we're good friends and we do some other work together, uh, but he was given the task by Christian Aid of distributing aid into Ukraine. Right. So as you go backwards and forwards into Ukraine, tomorrow he'll be going down to Moldova and probably into Ukraine as well. But he sent me a photograph a week ago about a lorry that got blown up, one of their lorries that got blown up by a Russian bomb. But just yesterday he sent me a photograph of a little van that was blown to smithereens uh, by the Russians. Um, and the driver got out on the street. Okay. So, so you, your, your career used to be in retail. Yes. You were very involved in retail. Yes. And, and you kind of continued that, you sort of continued that, uh, I mean, retirement's really a loose word with you, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Well, retailing, <laughs> retailing is great fun. Uh-huh. I love retailing, really, because it's all doing deals, and I just love doing deals. Uh-huh. <laughs> buying dresses when it's pouring rain outside, or, yeah, buying furniture for Christmas delivery, and it doesn't, oh, you know, it's just... Uh, and and as a Christian in that kind of world, I mean, what were the sort of challenges that you faced? I mean, yeah, uh, was it well, this, this, fortunately, when I was in retailing, it was mostly, mostly family retailers and family manufacturers and mostly Jewish family manufacturers. You came down to the East End of London and you were wheeling and you were dealing. And so there was that, I suppose, part of the, if there was any kind of friction, it would be shoplifting and staff dishonesty and all that kind of stuff, which we had to deal with. And often enough, you know, 
the banks would always say you can't give second chances but I suppose we would try and give second chances and I always had the feeling that if we were if we had a fraud situation it was partly our like more than partly our fault if our systems were such that it allowed people to abuse right. the system that we had to take some of the blame and that we would try and work our way to solve these things out that way yeah but so the, the so the whole issue in terms of retailing working out integrity issues and working out responding to staff and yes. also this idea that because obviously if you're not a christian there's no concept really of this second chance idea but as yeah. christians this idea of grace and mercy but balancing that with responsibility is yeah. it and yes, and being known for the values that we had um, became important. But you know, retailing was a while ago now. So yeah. I moved on from retailing into the property side of the business. And I suppose in the property side of the business, there was more, there is more scope for abuse and all the rest of it. Um, right. We had to make it clear we did that, uh, you know, we didn't go in for that the way some people go about getting planning permission and some people yeah. go and get rid of buildings that shouldn't yeah. be there. And, you know, we've, we've avoided all of that and it was, we were recognised for that and it was fine. But, you know, well, for, for instance, my estate agent the other day, we, one of our colleagues' wife died very suddenly a couple of Sundays ago, just coming home from church. And he wrote to me and said, I'm sure your prayers will make a big difference to Derek. And, you know, for him to say that to me was, I suppose, uh, gave me the signal that they were people knew where we stood and then we went we all went skiing together some time ago and the deal was that you were on the first lift up and the last lift down and you skied hard all day so it was high risk kind of stuff so we had a big breakfast and I said you know we need to say our prayers here so we would I would I got the job of doing the prayers each morning and on the first morning, one of the Psalms I'd been reading said, not a bone would be broken. So I really thought God did me a favor. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, so, so obviously, influencing when you are in a work context, now influencing through taking your time and being involved in, in uh, the, the third sector with relief agencies, yeah, yeah. but also influence in terms of friendship and, and family as well. You've got oh, grandkids, yeah. haven't you? Or? We've got what? Grandchildren. Only one, once, one. once, yeah. We don't see much of the guys. He's in London, London, and we hopefully we'll see a bit of him at Christmas time. But it's 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 not the kind of relationship we would like very much. But we have another one due to get born uh, in uh, February, so they'll be in Glasgow. So we hope we'll see more of that. But yeah, um, son John lives a very different kind of life. You know, he's he's a wheeler dealer. We must have got it in the family, but yeah. Enormous deals, you know, the, yeah. and he flies to California on a Monday morning, does his meetings and comes home on a Thursday, and his wife is managing director of some HR company or other. So they're, they're really ambitious right. and they and would say to us that they, they don't need God, they never need God, God right. didn't do anything for them. So that is a burden and a heartache and all the rest. So again, it's been that influence in family mm, and with yeah, yeah. friends and yeah, just trying to yeah. be that Christian yeah. witness. But on the other side, really Lindsay, for instance, um, um, and she's married this lovely man and they're in one of these very evangelical young churches in Glasgow. Glasgow and yeah. it's doing, it's growing. I think they've started five new churches wow. in and around Glasgow and uh, they're very actively involved in that. But they have a wonderful community of 
because of this, the age group is very similar. They have a wonderful social and supportive community that they all, you know, if somebody's just had a baby, everybody powers in to give them food and support and the prams and all the rest of it. So, yeah, that's lovely. Brilliant, John. That's great. Thank you so much. Oh, you want to? No, one, one. Yeah, go ahead. You don't mind. No, no. <laughs> um, when God and I have these conversations, I, I, in the books I read, you know, there was one book about the assemblies. It's called the assemblies. It's actually a Church of England book. But it's all about that the most important element of a church is the congregation. It's the congregation. They come here every Sunday. We get a little bit more Christ-like. We take communion and we and take Christ, but it's just us that go out into the community. Yeah. You can't take this out into the community. It's us, and I think we've all been disappointed, upset, and worried about the lack of the reduction in numbers in, in the congregation here. But I think God has Stirling Baptist Church in his sights, and I think he's made space for doing a great work in Stirling, and I think we should really be anxious. You know, it will take us to be part to make it work, but I think God really wants it to happen here. Brilliant. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that, that is the, the essence of the message. Almost I don't need to preach now. Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the whole thing in terms of, you know, it's about taking what's here and moving it out into the world that's what we're trying to do and, and thinking about our lives and and whether we're, we're still working or whether we're we're enjoying retirement or not enjoying retirement as the case may be uh, but 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 we still exercise influence in terms of our lives and that might be over our friends or our families or that might be work colleagues or or actually the way that our businesses or activities are conducted but nevertheless we have that influence and it's actually understanding how God wants to work through that influence and then the, the phrase for this morning is whatever we do and and I want us to think about that this morning we're going to just watch a little video uh, that, that'll kind of set the context for this and then we'll look at it Father, help me do good today. I want to shape this place to your design. Help me see the value my work has to you. May I model your kindness and patience. So that you are recognised. Yeah, <laughs> May they know Jesus through my presence. May they see your light as I share mine. Give me your joy and self-control. So that your warmth touches those I meet. Help me to be generous. Quick to put others first. Sharing clearly your love and grace. Give me words to speak about you. And courage to stand for justice and truth. Whatever the day brings. In my humanity, weakness, breakthrough. Let my life overflow with you. Great. 
So in that passage that we read in Colossians chapter 3, this phrase, whatever we do, occurs twice. And, uh, and it's interesting if you look at the, the, the way that Paul uses it, Paul almost is using it as a kind of summary for what he's trying to say. And, and he does it twice. And he does it after the first set of verses, which run from verse 15 through 17. And then he does it after the second set of verses. And if you look at it, you'll actually discover that Paul is, is talking about two kind of different realms. The, the first realm relates to worship. And, and you'll see that he talks in verse 15 uh, about the body of Christ. And, 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 and then he, he talks about the, the word, the sharing of the word. And he talks about songs. And, and it sounds very like a kind of worship context, a Sunday type context that he's talking about. And then he says, whatever you do in terms of that context, in word or deed, do it all to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and we kind of think, yeah, well, of course, we come to worship God. And that's what Sundays are about. And then he turns from this context, from the worship context, to the context of our lives, to home and work, a little bit like we were, we were exploring with John there, in, in terms of what that looks like and, and what we're doing this time tomorrow. And, and, and he starts to talk about relationships within the family, uh, husbands and wives and children and, and household slaves, obviously a very different kind of context than from our own context. And, and then he, he kind of talks about glorifying God in that context. And he says, whatever you do in these realms, in these realms uh, of work and family, then you are to do it all for God, whatever we do. And, and so we have this idea of these two realms. And you'll know if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, we, we have a very useful kind of uh, image to illustrate this. Can we go to the next slide? Of, of these two squares where we have the Sunday service, which is the, the top left-hand corner there, where, where you see the church all gathered together. And, and then you have this square with large sections of it. I think it's about 94%, 94 of the dots are uninfluenced by the community of God's people when we're gathered here. But then Monday morning comes, and we go and we spread out. And, and suddenly, uh, you, you'll see in, uh, that the influence of these dots as they move out from this place becomes massive. And, and so many more areas within the life of that square are influenced and impacted by the people of God. And, and it's understanding that impact. It's understanding that calling to be those individuals and to exercise that influence. And that's what this series is really trying to do. Let's look at that influence, first of all, in church and, and what we're called to do as we gather together on Sunday. And Paul begins this section by talking about be thankful in verse 15. It's an interesting command to start with. He, he actually, again, reiterates it uh, as, as he goes on. But the command is, be thankful. And it's interesting that that's where he starts in terms of church life. Be thankful. And uh, it's, it's, it's so easy to kind of think about the things that we don't have rather than the things that we do have. 
Have, have you ever found yourself doing that? You, you, you kind of spend your life thinking about, oh, if only I had that, or if only I could own that, or if only I knew that person, or if only my life was like this, then it would be great. And, and we spend our life actually wishing either looking to a past that's gone or to a future hope that might transpire. But we spend very little time thinking about the present and actually all the great things we have. And, and, and I think the essence of church is being thankful for what we have. One of the, the things I've found remarkable when I've had opportunity to go and visit persecuted Christians in places like Iraq uh, and, uh, and places like Palestine and, and, and experience the, the, what's happening in terms of these Christians' lives is the way that they are so often thankful although their plight and situation is so different from ours. And, and it really pulls you up short as you think about it because you come back and you think we have so much going for us. And I know, you know, it's been a rough few years, but, but still we have so much going for us. And yet we're so ungrateful. Uh, and it's a sad thing. And, and, and again, in church, we, we can often get like that. And, and uh, Paul goes on and he says, teach and encourage each other. Again, teaching and encouragement just doesn't come from the front on Sunday morning. It's actually to come from one another. And, and again, this is our influence over each other. It's like, what am I going to teach? And how am I going to encourage those around us? You, you model in the way that you behave as a Christian in the church attitudes and, and and people learn it you know churches and and it's one of the the, the things it's always arrested me and and it caused me to think but how do you shape culture how do you shape church culture how do you shape the way that people behave and interact and and we, we're all part of creating a culture you know uh, the, if if you have a really negative church it's because we've let our church become negative. We've let that culture predominate. If, if, if you have a, a, a culture which is positive and affirming, well, that doesn't just happen. It's like, you know, your room. You ever had a room? I was getting into trouble over my study. But it's like, why doesn't my study just tidy itself? And, and you know, the default is, have you ever noticed with entropy, if you don't do anything about it, tends to be books everywhere. You can trip over them as you come into the room. And, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's like, wow, you, know, you have to do something here to change this, to, to shape it. And we do that. We create the culture of our church. We, we create the culture of our community. We create, whether we are a loving community or a hostile community, we, we create whether we're a community where people can feel welcome or where people feel on the outside. We create that, and we teach and model that to one another. And, and it's a really good question to ask. What is it I'm teaching and communicating to my fellow Christians in this church? by the way I behave, by the way I talk, by the attitudes that I reflect. Then talks about singing and with gratitude, and, and, and again, the whole idea of coming together as God's people and acknowledging God. And, and so how are we to worship God in all that we do? 
Well, we have to reflect a thankfulness and communicate that thankfulness to others. Then Paul goes on and he says, be aware. So, so as he moves to this other realm, the realm of home and family, he, he moves from the idea of being thankful to the idea of awareness. And, and you'll see as he goes on, he actually says that God watches over these realms. And, and, and you have to be aware that God doesn't just watch on a Sunday morning. He, he, he actually is there and aware on Monday morning and Tuesday morning. There, there was a book once written by Bill Hybels called Who Are You When Nobody Is Looking? And, and, and this is really what Paul's kind of getting to in terms of our lives. Who are you when nobody's looking? You know, because, because you can actually put on a really great front in church. And you can be like, everybody's like, wow, you're the most amazing Christian. You're great. You're just wonderful. And then actually, you know, when you get home and your kids see you, or your wife sees you, or your husband sees you, and it's a totally different experience. And, and you know, that goes on. And, and, and what Paul's saying is, be aware that actually God watches Monday through Saturday as well as on Sunday. And, and, and he references a whole bunch of, of relationships. He talks about husbands and wives, parents and children, household servants. And he wrote it just quickly because I'm running out of time. don't know how I managed to do that. And, uh, but, but, he, but he talks about wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Just quick explanation on the word submit. Um, it's not the word obey, okay? So it's a different word. And, and Paul is trying to convey a different sense from some sort of authoritarian structure. And uh, how do I know this? It's not just because I'm a contemporary modern liberal or something. If you go and look at Ephesians 5, okay, Paul uses exactly these same ideas. Husbands, uh, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Ephesians 5, exact same thing. And then Paul summarizes exactly what he's just said at the end. I think it's chapter 6, verse 1. You can check it. And, and he summarizes what I've just said. And how does he summarize it? He says, husbands love your wives, and wives, what word does he use? Anybody know? Respect. Yeah, you've read my book. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, respect. Respect your wives. So the word, the equivalency of the word submit and the word respect are the words that he is attempting to join. And you'll see it in Ephesians 5 and 6 really clearly. And, and so what he's saying is, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Whenever I do this at a wedding talk, I explain that actually I still think this is pertinent. I don't actually think this is just some ancient idea that we can move on from. And the reason I think it's still pertinent is because I think there are two fundamental different needs within, within a marriage relationship. And men and women are different. And I know, again, that's not fashionable to say, but it's true. And, uh, and that, that wives, the danger for them is that they undermine their husbands. 
And, uh, and in fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy deals with the problem of wives undermining their husbands in church, which was like, what? He thought that was a nightmare. That's what he means in the Lord. You know, it's not good for wives to be undermining their husbands. And, and, and you know, if you ever go out with a group of friends and you watch a woman undermine her husband or her partner with a group of friends, watch the guy's faces as that happens. Because every guy's going, that's the worst. See? Don't undermine your husbands or partners if you're a woman. That's a really important thing. In fact, I think it's the most important thing. But then for the husbands, he turns and he says, husbands, love your wife. And, and we have a brilliant old English word, which is the word cherish. And, and, and that's what Paul's trying to convey here. He's trying to say, husbands, cherish your wife. Because you see here, this is the biggest problem for the wife. Yes, you are to respect your wife. But the biggest problem is, if they feel they don't matter and they're not cherished. They, they need to feel that they're valuable to you, that they matter to you, that they are cherished. And, and again, you watch a relationship where a woman doesn't feel cherished and a man doesn't feel respected. And I will tell you that relationship will have issues. Whereas if there is respect and cherishing within a relationship, you will see a fairly healthy relationship. What's that got to do with Christianity? It's got everything to do with Christianity. Paul then talks about the household, and he says, kids, obey your parents, which is a good instruction. I, I, I <laughs> she probably shouldn't share. I had a conversation, a real conversation with my daughter. He told me that she was never going to say no to her grandchild, my grandchild. I was like, oh, okay, well, that'll last a week. And, uh, <laughs> children, obey your parents. And again, forgive me if I sound old. But you know what? We, we have to teach people how, and we need to teach children how to be obedient. I, I talk to primary school teachers, and they're having nightmares. And, and the reason is that the kids that come to the classes just don't know how to be obedient. And, and it generates phenomenal stress in terms of our structures and things. If you're a parent, teach your kids how to be obedient. I know it's not easy. And uh, I, I know it's difficult. But it's something that we're called to. And grandparents, you know, help, help along the way in relation to this. Interestingly, it says to parents, don't wind up your kids. And uh, I used to get into terrible trouble as a parent. Uh, because there's sometimes we just like winding up our kids, and, and you would have to rein that in. It says, don't provoke your kids to anger. And, and, and again, sometimes you will watch parents who provoke their kids in a way that you think, oh, that's not a good thing to do. Paul says, don't do it. You know, learn to good parenting skills. Why? Because parenting skills and grandparenting skills is about the expression of Christ and exercising your influence. You know, for some of us, our greatest influence is going to be in terms of our children and grandchildren. Our greatest influence. You know, oh, we may be dead successful at work and careers and everything, but you know what? Your lasting impact will be in terms of that influence. Certainly, that's true in my own life in terms of my own grandparents. Their influence on me was massive. Um, in terms of their lives. Then he talks in the area of household servants, as I said, slavery. We haven't got time to go into all of that. But, but he talks here 
about the idea of the attitudes that we have. So three ideas Paul goes on to develop in this passage in how we express these things. First of all, we are to pursue peace in these two realms. Pursue peace. This word peace, um, I know at communion and when we come to communion we will share peace, but but the word peace means wholeness, really. It's, it's almost a, a, a medical word. Remember, you got, used to get salva, uh, salvation, savlin cream. Do you remember savlin? Well, that comes actually from the word, uh, the, the Greek word for healing, which conveys the idea of peace. It means wholeness, completeness. And, and when he says, and he starts this whole passage with, pursue peace. And, and what he's saying is, Build up and repair. Make that your mission. In church, in home, in family, build up and repair. Pursue peace. I, I, I don't know if you've ever played with kids, but they love building blocks. And, and you put building blocks on top of each other. You ever done this? Spend half an hour getting them a lovely tower. And then what do they love doing? Knocking it all over. You know, just knocking stuff down. It's like, yeah, this is brilliant. And you're going, oh, no, we've got to rebuild it again. And they just knock it down again. You know, there are people who carry that into their adult life. They spend their energies and time tearing down in terms of their relationships, in terms of their church life, in terms of their family life, in terms of their work life. And, and, and Paul's saying, pursue peace. Build up and repair. Build up and repair in your families. Build up and repair where you work. Build up and repair in your church. Pursue peace. And, and then he says, whatever we do, do it all in the name of Jesus. He's saying, and, and the idea of the name of Jesus is that you are going to represent Jesus. And, and that you will represent Jesus wherever you are, whether it's home whether it's work or whether it's church. And uh, we represent Jesus. So I can be a parent. I can parent my children or be a friend in his name. Now, it was, it was great that John talked about going on a skiing holiday and being that influence. You see, that's what it means. Do all in the name of Jesus. You, you can do all in the name of Jesus on a skiing holiday. Uh, you'll be glad to know. You can price a job or run a business meeting in his name as a representative of Jesus. We were talking about integrity in retail and, and in making deals. Big issue. What does integrity for a Christian look like? I can plumb a sink in Jesus' name or coach a football team in Jesus' name or bathe a patient in Jesus' name. I'm a representative of Jesus. You know, we're seeing at the moment in international politics, diplomats going to the Middle East and things. They're representative of their governments, representative of us. And we're representatives of Jesus. We're representing him wherever we go. So, so we are called to uh, whatever we do, we are called to do it in the name of Jesus. And then lastly, we're called to do it with all our heart. You'll see, Paul says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart, as to the Lord, not people. Paul is talking, and he's just been talking actually about slavery, 
And, and uh, you, you could think that this is a really weird thing, Paul. What, what are you doing talking to slaves in this way? You should be doing telling them to commit insurrections and things. And I don't think Paul necessarily meant that Paul was of favor with slavery or there wasn't issues. That's another sermon. We could talk about that at some point. But, but what he's saying is, you know, that you will find in life that there is unfairness. You'll find at work there's unfairness. Maybe you'll feel that, you know, you've got all these managers who don't have a clue that what's actually happening. You guys are doing all the work. They're getting paid all the money. You're getting pins. And it's just rubbish. <laughs> and, and, and I don't think Paul says, oh, we'll just accept that. I think we have to fight for justice and, and, and workers' rights. But, but what he is saying is, but think about your attitude. He's saying, you know, in life, you're going to find that you will be neglected. Sometimes you're going to feel underappreciated in your job or your work context or in your family context. And, and he's saying, you know, when you find yourself in that situation where it's unfair or you feel you're being neglected or ignored, understand that you do this to the Lord and not to the individuals. And what he's saying is adopt an attitude which says, I'm doing this for God. And, and he actually makes a really good promise. He says, even if your boss doesn't reward you, even if your family doesn't appreciate you, God will. And you will get compensation. <laughs> I don't know, again, another sermon, what the compensation looks like. But you know what? You have to remind yourself when you feel neglected, when you feel it's unfair. Maybe it's in a work context. I, I once worked on a checkout in Marks and Spencer's through most of my academic year, years. And um, it was an interesting place to work. It was a great place to work. But you could have an attitude of, oh, it's really unfair, it's miserable. Or you could have an attitude which is, you know, God is watching this. He sees what I do. He values what I do. And he is the one that I work to not those around me. And so he calls for an attitude adjustment. So here we are. We're told that whatever we do, pursue peace. Whatever we do, do it in the name of Jesus, recognizing that you represent Jesus. And do it with all your heart. Not serving the people around you so that they'll recognize you, but recognizing that Jesus will recognize you. And you will receive reward in due course. As we do that, we become that influence that begins to see change in our world because of our attitude and because of the way that we represent our King. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge of Colossians 3. Lord, we, we just pray that wherever we find ourselves, that we will represent you. Lord, as we scatter to our frontline places, we thank you for the opportunities to do good in the world. Whatever the tasks of our week, wherever we are, we pray that you will work through us and that we will bear fruit for your kingdom. May we do all things attentive to your presence, and with a heart set and working at them for you, first and foremost. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.